All right, guys, welcome back to Within Tolerance. This is episode 17, and in this week's episode, we're going to be talking about a couple different topics. We're going to be talking about people that use Wear versus Computer Comp, 3D printing, and a couple other things. But first, we're going to check in with Dylan and see how he's doing with his shop and his day job. So, Dylan, is there anything you'd like to talk about? Hey, guys. Uh, so, first up, just wanted to mention next week we've got Andrew McEwen on the podcast. Laser Scan Man on Instagram, worked for Pharaoh for a bunch of years, um, and now does a lot of physics simulations, engineering optimization at Altair. Uh, so it should be a really interesting podcast for anybody who listens, whoever has been interested in 3D scanning or uses 3D scanning and wants to learn some more, um, or any of those physics simulations. If you're doing a lot of design work, uh, definitely tune in. Um, we'll be posting up tonight, or I guess tonight when we're recording a instagram post and you guys can tag with your own questions and we'll ask andrew next week um and as always you know follow within tolerance on instagram to get the uh, latest updates on the podcast and submit your questions for every week um as far as my shop Prodium has been doing really well um i think i can't remember last week if i had mentioned it but we we've now either picked up two or we've at least picked up one new local customer and are on our way to picking up the second we we just sent out some quotes to them so um that's been great it's a it was kind of my goal this year to pick up more local customers and expand our customer base so i'm uh really really happy with that and so how did you get those customers so one of them was brad I can't remember if it's an old coworker of his or someone he knew, but he works at a new company now and, and sent Brad over an RFQ. Um, and then the other one was the company that we, I, I think I mentioned two, maybe three weeks ago that we went to that Arizona Tech Council uh, event. And it was held at a local tech company. Like every all of their monthly events are held at a certain tech company. And you go and they have stations where you can walk around and, find out what they do and all the different aspects of their business. And so this one was at a, uh, a company and we ended up talking to their VP and their head of engineering and one other guy there. Um, and, and apparently it was a, a good connection because they sent us an RFQ about a three or four days later. Oh, wow. So you quoted that and have you heard back? No, because we, we went back th- we had some emails back and forth. The first part that they sent us, I guess they had been getting quoted by Proto Labs which I've vaguely heard of, but never really understood the process. Apparently, if you send them parts that they don't want to machine features on, like the features they think are non-machinable or not good for their equipment, whatever, they just highlight them on the print and don't machine them. What the heck? (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so there is this, this corner that was a sharp corner that had a radius going into the sharp corner. And the radius was also a sharp corner, like where the two radii met. It was like a corner radii on a sharp corner. Okay. Um, and like, it was just impossible to get to. Like I tried a, a million different strategies of like, oh, well, what if I have like a super long one sixteenth? Cause it, the corner goes right up next to this um, cylindrical boss as well. It's like an inside corner. Um, and so like, I was like, oh, what if I use a, a tiny end mill and just, you know, scallop this tiny little 10 thou radius and uh, all of these different strategies. And uh, I was like, you know, it's just not possible. So I ended up highlighting it and taking a picture of it and sending it back to them and just saying like, hey, can you can I get some clarification on what you're trying to do here? You know, do you just want uh, edge break? Um, does it need to be like this? Can you give us any 
fill it in the in the inside corner to give us some relief there. And uh, they at first they didn't say anything back, so I thought like, oh great, they're just gonna stick with Proto Labs. Like I'm asking too many questions. Yeah. Uh, so I, I followed up with him. I think the day after, or two days after, and he was like, oh yeah, I saw your your questions. Here's an updated model. I threw a, a, a fillet in the corner there, um, and so it went from like a sharp corner to now a thirty thou radius. And so now I can drop a little uh, twenty thou corner radius tool like the one that you were using down there from one side and actually pick up the entire edge. And it all worked out. And so I sent it off this morning was the updated quote. Oh, nice. And waiting to hear back. Yeah. Yeah. I figure I'll hear at least back by the end of the week, but we'll see. I, I quoted them pretty aggressively, but still left some money on there. They're not easy parts by any stretch of the imagination. So I, I definitely didn't want to screw myself over there. Was it a large quantity or just a couple? Uh, he wanted five and 10 quoted the, of the same part. Okay. So not tons, but I mean, we don't really do ton, you know, large quantities anyway. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was really gratifying to get that kind of response so quickly from just a, a brief meeting. Like we, we went to the event and like neither Brad or, well, I don't know. I'm, I, I enjoy social gatherings like that, but like when there are 40 people that are all double your age, it can get a little uh, intimidating to like just go up and be like, "Hey, we run a two man shop. Like, can we do your work?" Um, but we ended up hanging around to the end and like because they had a lot of robotic demonstrations, and uh, so we 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 were really interested in what was going on anyway. Um, we so we watched all those and talked to some people, uh, met a few people around. Like, it, it was kind of it wasn't discouraging, but like right off the bat, the only people we met was like one was a patent lawyer. That was like he was super outgoing and really nice, but like we were like, oh, well, we have no use for this connection at least right yeah. now. And then the next guy was some software engineer that was like, oh yeah, I, I probably won't ever use you guys, but it was nice meeting you. And I was like, oh great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we hung around all night, and then it ended up just being like us and like maybe I don't know a handful of other people, and then all of the employees of the company that we were at. And so we went over and introduced ourselves and talked to them for I don't know 10, 15 minutes, something like that, and. Yeah, it, it all worked out really well, and it was a fun event. I actually found out about the Tech Council through Brett, who was the uh, UR salesman who came by and gave us the demo. So he's a, okay. I, I can't remember his exact title within the, the Tech Council, but he's like an outreach member or something like that. And so he kind of took us under his wing and you know brought us in, and now we're going to be full members and probably go to a lot more of their events just because it's it's great networking and pretty fun and really cool to see all this technology in my hometown that I had no idea. So, yeah, seriously. That's a nice like you said, local events are always nice. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was well worth it. Like I a lot of those events end up just being a waste of time, but it seems like it's very very much geared if you want it to be to meet the right people. Yeah. So you got that part you're waiting to hear back on, and then what are you working on this week? Uh, I've got a few onesie twosies that have been sitting on the books for a while uh, that I need to knock out. Like one of them we've done three times, so it's it's real easy. And then another one is a prototype design part that I designed for a customer that okay. I just haven't gotten around to yet. Like he he's not in, he hasn't been in any big rush. He's been contacting me recently and being like, "Hey, can we get going on that?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." yeah. I'll, I'll get going on it. So I forgot that you do a lot of design work too, don't you? 
I wouldn't say a lot, but I, I do as much as I can. Like I, I yeah. really enjoy it. So, um, whenever I hear like even a shred of an opportunity, I'm like, Oh, well I can do that for you. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I seem to get on that. I've got both of those. Um, and then we just picked up that order from the other new in town customer and I ordered all the mighty bites for it and all the fixture stuff yesterday. So we're just waiting on the material and the fixture stuff and I'll get going on that too. Nice. Is that, it sounds like building a larger fixture for multiple parts. Is it a lot of parts? It's 180, so more than we usually do. Oh, wow. Yeah, for you, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're relatively easy to opt parts, but um, I factored in buying a bunch of the Uniforce clamps. Or not a bunch, but like five Uniforce clamps. So I can do okay. five complete parts every run, which should be pretty quick. So the Uniforce ones, are those the hexagon ones? No, they're the ones with the like wedge in the center that forces oh yeah okay yeah because it's all the same size stock and i I bought the uh, machinable uniforce ones so i'll be able to machine them kind of like mini soft jaws and then run i plan on running yeah five complete parts every cycle yeah we need to talk about maybe not this episode but remember i had that idea of making that mold fixture and i needed to use like a talon grip on one side and then I think it's just a pit bull, isn't it? The one that like kind of um, rocks forward. Yeah. Yeah. I need to learn more about those. I understand the talons, but like the pit bull, I just need to look at their sight and see like, okay, how far do I space this off the part, etc. Yeah, they've got really, really, really good uh, drawings of that everything. You know, like every possible dimension you could need as far as like spacing and thread and depth and all of that stuff. Um, I've, I don't think I've ever run into like a question on a mighty bite. Like my biggest question is like, Oh, is this going to work? Like, (laughs) yeah, it it, it seems a little weird. Like, I don't know if this is going to work, but, uh, as far as like making the fixture, they're really, really good about that. Okay. I'll have to just look into that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't think I've used machinable uniforces before, but I'm pretty confident. Like the, the, Ops have very little, if any, cutter pressure in them. Like a lot of it is just drilling and tapping. So I'm not too worried about it. Sounds like pretty straightforward work then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely not high dollar, but could be good repeat business and, um, you know, a good customer. So I'm really excited to knock it out of the park. That's awesome. Yeah. I just did a repeat job of some injection molded parts that long time ago, the customer had a mold made and he needed someone to actually make parts and he sent it to me and it's out of a transparent red Lexan plastic and Lexan at least from my experience and this was my first is super hard to get um, like the flow rate or whatever that technical term is to basically for your cavity to fill properly because I was like cranking my machine up to like 600 degrees just to get this stuff to like flow and fill the mold and long story short i got it a really nice process dialed in i made a nice process sheet this was like a year or so ago and then now it's like i would say every they probably go through two to three hundred parts a month and but they only order maybe once every three or four months because i make like a thousand at a time oh wow but it's like really nice repeat. It's super straightforward. It's just like, 
you know, he'll just email me, Hey, we're running low. Can you make some? And he knows it takes me only a couple days and he PayPal's me right away. I ship him. you know, super nice repeat job, stuff like that's really nice to get. That's awesome. Yeah. That, I wish I had more repeat work uh, at my shop. Like it, we're... it's hard to get. I mean, cause it can be repeat or people think it's repeat. And then two months in, they're like, ah, we don't need any more. Yeah. The worst is like, I'll get repeat work, but they'll send me a new model and they'll be like, oh, this is Rev 3 or like Rev C. And I'll be like, but it looks the same. And all the yeah. dimensions <laughs> on the printer are the same. And then I have to like pull it in the Fusion and like put the components on top of each other and like hide one and show one real quick and be like, well, it looks the same. All the dimensions are the same. I guess I can just run the old part. Like, um, it's yeah, but then you get scared at some point. You're almost like, should I just reprogram it off this solid? Yeah. And it's like. I don't know. <laughs> For me, it really depends on the customer. Like one of the customers that does that to me all the time, I know like I, I've had parts where it wasn't what they wanted. Like it wasn't any fault of mine, but they're like, oh, this is this isn't we sent you the wrong model or like, oh, we sent you the wrong print or like, oh, this this hole was the wrong size in the model. And it's like, well, I'll just make another one. Like it's not a big deal. And like they, they're not ever stressed about it. So um, with them, I, I don't ever worry about that. And I just usually run the old program. But if it's, you know, a real high profile or strict customer, then yeah, I might just save it out as a template and then just reprogram it. Yeah. I know one other thing that, oh yeah, that's what I was going to mention with these Lexan parts. I almost emailed the customer when I first got the mold and was having all these issues. I almost emailed him because I would go out in my garage and I would like, play with temperature clamping like everything every possible setting on my machine to get these parts to be made and i probably did that like i don't know probably four hours for every day for a week and i could not get it i almost emailed him and was like i can't make these like you're gonna have to find someone else but then i was like you know what i'm gonna go out one more time and i just tried something stupid and like it just worked and they just kept getting made and i was like okay yeah and like my whole point in that is now I'm not really intimidated by new things, especially new materials. Cause it's like, it might just take a long time. Um, but you can nail it down. You just got to keep trying things. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that reminds me of, uh, a few weeks ago or maybe a month or two ago, we had these parts that they finished in the pocket, the bottom of this pocket in this material was like chattering like crazy. Cause it was only about 30 thou thick. Okay. And like I tried a million, you know, reclamps and, and different tool paths and different step overs, all kinds of stuff to make it because the first couple parts that came out, like I had to keep them or at least at, at the time I thought I needed to. And so I was just like sanding the bottom to get out these like creases more or less from where they was pulling up the material. Um, it was still all intolerance. It still looked fine, but like it was just off the machine. It felt like garbage. And so like just out of nowhere, I was like, oh, maybe or maybe it was Brad who told me. I, I can't remember who came up with it, but we we're like, oh, let's just tape a parallel to the bottom of it. <laughs> and we just taped parallel to the bottom of it and run it. And like it came out perfect, like glass. Duh. Yeah. But it was one of those things like, oh, well, you know, I never would have thought about that if I wasn't just like stuck in a position that I needed oh, yeah. to figure something out. I have to mention that you said within tolerance in that like two sentences ago. What do you mean? Oh, you just mentioned <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it was what was within tolerance, but uh, I made it better. Yeah, better be. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So, what about yeah. you? Updates on your your end? Are you still you're in the mix, midst of doing a lot of job shop work still, or? Yeah, so I got that those plastic parts done. I think I mentioned that last week, and I've started on these two new aluminum parts they gave me, and then it was funny because the customer came to my house or my garage and he's so used to i think their other main machinist is another garage shop and that other shop is getting really busy and so they're taking a lot of what they used to send to this other guy to me which i can't complain about (laughs) and so you know kind of jokingly i gave him the bag of parts and as he was walking away he's like what did he say he was something like um like we'll check all these because they have to check every single one of them because it's aerospace parts and they have to check so there was like 150 parts and you imagine there's probably 50 dimensions on each part you do the math um that's but yeah but as he was walking away he's like yeah i'll have a so-and-so check these i don't think we'll ever have an issue because you got your stuff together and he's like "I'll, i'll make sure to keep you busy and then like literally within an hour he's like okay here's two more parts to quote which are the ones <laughs> i'm doing now and then recently he just sent another part he's like so this other guy can't keep up with what we need can you quote like 25 and 50 of these and i'm like well yeah <laughs> wow that's awesome so this specific company is keeping me very busy and uh yeah hopefully i can knock knock some of these out i got the those honeycomb kind of parts I sent you a picture of done today. Oh, awesome. Yeah, those came out great. Um, yeah. I was a little worried, yeah, like I said, about them pulling out. But if they all came out in spec, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm honestly like not intimidated by thin-walled parts at all anymore. Yeah, you've been doing enough, that's for sure. Yeah, like I've just learned that like just op one's piece of cake and then op two when you flip it like, torque wrench and like 30 foot pounds or inch pounds whatever my setting is i'd have to check but just barely (laughs) anything and like just go for it yeah a little bit of a difference there between 30 inch pounds yeah but remember i have that weird (laughs) torque wrench (laughs) yeah it's like two foot pounds or 30 foot pounds uh enough to hold it (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome though I'm, i'm glad they're working out yeah, so I got that. And then let's see. Oh, yeah, I got an email from this other mold maker, same guy that I got these Lexan part job from. And he's sending me, I'm assuming, a mold and some transparent clear material. I don't know what kind of polymer, but supposedly the customer wants 5,000 parts. And it's a single cavity mold. So I'd have to run them one at a time, which kind of sucks. Um, and I'm kind of worried about how easy the part will be to get out of the mold. Cause I'll be doing this on my manual machine. Is your boy and, not up and running? I thought you got it all fixed. Yeah, it is. But this is just a small mold that they had made. Oh, I got um, you. It wouldn't fit on your boy. Yeah. It's just not designed for it either. Gotcha. Um, but hopefully, I don't know it. It'll be interesting. I'm going to quote high and because it's really just time at that point but i mean five thousand parts is five thousand parts yeah that's a one if you're doing them one at a time that's a lot of time yeah i'm hoping i can crank one out every i mean even if you do one every 30 seconds 
or if I get really antsy and get one out every 20 seconds, that's still a lot of time. Yeah, that's uh, way too much time. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to quote aggressively high. Yeah, I mean, that's still like 27 hours, 28 hours. Yeah, who so. needs sleep, right? Like you said. Yeah, yeah, sleep when you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. That's, that's yeah. how I've uh, felt the last couple of weeks. Yeah, seriously. It's weird how I like regret to some degree. I was thinking if I even wanted to bring this up because I don't want to jinx myself, but I could actually go for like a slow week. Just one. <laughs> like, just give me a week to get caught up on some personal stuff, like projects and stuff, and then I'll be back to it. Yeah. Well, and you know, I, I feel like that's like an important distinction to make like i feel like a lot of uh who was it oh i was listening to the new lathe night podcast today and they i can't remember who they were quoting but they said oh it was ave and he said like you know when you need to give 100 percent, you you give 100 percent, but like that you everybody needs to take a break sometimes like you you can't give 100 percent 100 percent of the time you end up yeah. burning yourself out and like that that's one thing this last weekend i did I did a lot of computer work like at home, um, quoting and things like that, but like I didn't go into the shop on purpose because yeah. I, I knew I needed a break and I knew that I was just exhausted. And so um, I feel like that's a really important distinction to make as an entrepreneur is like, you know, scheduled downtime is not a bad thing. And the thing is, the scheduled downtime normally isn't wired into your entrepreneurial if that's the right word brain like for me at least like i don't think about that but now i'm more aware of it like i need to do that yeah um, well, i always feel so bad like it, it takes yeah it takes like me really like self-talking myself and be like no you need this this will make your business better like you, you deserve a day off or like a couple days off like you, you can't you can't burn the candle at both ends all day every day yeah and i'm trying to push myself to do like as much machining and running around work during like the actual working business days. And then like the weekends, like especially Sunday, I'm trying to give myself at least Sunday or maybe Saturday off, at least from machining. I still got plenty of other things to do. Like stuff will still get done, but unless I really need the weekends to meet a deadline on making parts or if I want to get ahead, I'll do it. But I'm trying to like kind of pace myself with that stuff. Yeah. I'm, I'm the same way. I'm really at least one day a week. I would like to do no actual, like not going to the shop. Like I'm okay doing phone calls or emails or whatever. Um, but yeah, it, I've been really trying hard to quote work in a way and schedule it in a way that I, I have that time off. Cause I, I just, I'm a better, I'm a better business owner and machinist when I do that. Yeah. And just your attitude and everything is probably better just like mine is. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also just that mental break, get out of that environment. Don't think about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You need it. Um, so one thing, a new shop thing that, uh, we've talked about a lot off air that I have not brought up yet. Um, and I'm only really going to hint at it, but like we have looked into financing possibly a new machine. Um, I'm not going to, go into much about it until I, I know more, but we have at least started the process of looking for financing. Um, 
replacing the Kitamura is becoming more and more of a goal for us. Uh, and finding a used machine to fill its its shoes have, has been a little tough. Like right now, like the you know when the economy is is good, it's really tough to find used machines that are are good. Um, everybody snatches them up or everybody keeps their machine because because they can. So um, we found a good deal on possibly a new machine, and we're just kind of going down that alley. Um, and I'll, I'll keep everybody and you updated as far as where things go from here. But it, it, one thing that's really nice is I am appreciating getting the uh, experience on at least going through this process, like finding people to finance, knowing what information they ask for. Uh, I told you and anybody listening who's thinking about financing, John Saunders on the NYC CNC uh, YouTube channel has a fantastic video about financing machines and the things you should look for in loans. Um, lots of terms that I, I didn't know about. Uh, like we, we had talked about you and I um, having full amortization of the loan over the loan period, which pretty much means that the monthly payments of your loan add up to the purchase price of the machine by the end of the loan. So there's no like balloon payment at the end. Cause like you could have a loan where you're paying like 500 bucks a month, which is great. But at the end of a two year loan, you've only paid off 30 grand of the machine and you've still got 50 grand left to, to pay off. And that, that last payment is $50,000. Yeah. And you have to account for that really. Right, right, which would be terrible. I mean, if you haven't made that money and you need to pay that last payment, like that's when you see all these like machines pop up on machine tool dealers because they're like, oh, I, I didn't make what I needed to or I didn't save what I needed to to make my balloon payment. I've never, I've heard of the balloon payment term, but I never understood what it was. I can't believe, I just never thought that was a thing in a loan. Right. I, I, I had always, I was the same way. I had always heard the term balloon payment. I was like, well, is that just like something that happens with every loan? Like what, yeah. is, you know? Um, so like it's, it's things like that, that I had never heard of um, not being penalized for early payoff is like a real big thing. Uh, you know, if you, you want to pay more towards your loan, that's great. But like, you got to think about it from the bank's perspective. If you pay off your loan early, they get less interest. So f- that's, bad for them right it's not in their in, not in their interest no pun intended to let you yeah. pay it off early so that but that's you know definitely something that we're looking for in a loan is like i want a longer term loan so that our monthly payments are lower but that we can pay off early as our business scales so well we'll see um nothing's set in stone right now we haven't signed anything but it at least like i said has been an excellent learning experience um and i ever really appreciate that like i feel like i'm growing on that side of my business which is cool yeah if you don't want to answer this question on air that's totally fine but what's your gut saying that you will or won't get it um i'm i'm unsure i I really i i don't know right now it really depends on the kind of financing we can get i'm waiting to hear from the first loan company that we contacted the one that was recommended by the machine tool builder if it doesn't pan out with them, I might go to one more and see if we can get what we want. If we get favorable terms that we agree to, I, I, I think both Brad and I feel pretty strongly that we'll get the machine. But yeah, uh, you know, I, I don't know. We're a fairly new business. We don't have a whole lot of credit history. Um, both Brad and I have pretty good personal credit, but again, I, I 
I, I'm not sure where that's all going to land. This is our first time doing it, so we're just playing it by ear, and I, I'm trying to keep my expectations low and my my hopes low. So that's a good way to think about situations like this. Just don't get all excited, and you know, just take it at a snail's pace. And if it's if it happens, it's meant to happen. If not, don't worry about it. Keep moving forward. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, what about you? Any new word on? robots new machines all that stuff i am actually oh yeah i totally forgot about this but i'll mention it i think he's okay with me mentioning this but the rapid design solutions the pneumatic vice actuator um Mm -hmm. that we talked about and that danny posted about so he came out and he's like the like i mentioned in last week's episode i believe it was he's like the official installer for ur robots like he'll set up a machine tool and a robot specifically a ur and basically have it run parts you know however you want it to and so he makes these pneumatic vice actuators and they're mainly meant for curt vices and he saw my orange vice and we had talked and i was basically like you need to get on instagram you need to get on orange vice and like you need to make that happen because like everyone on instagram has orange vices it's a smaller company but it's thriving and especially, you know, smaller shops like us, we love supporting other local businesses, you know, smaller entrepreneurs. So if you can get that pneumatic vice actuator to work on an orange vice, I think you could sell some. And so I'm kind of working back and forth and he might come out and test one on mine, which would be pretty cool. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, that's a great connection. I I still can't believe that that's like the guy you met the day you went to look at URs. Oh, I know. <laughs> That's just insane. Um, yeah, small so, world. Yeah, that, that is really, really cool. As far as the robot goes, I'm still waiting on a couple emails. And then new machines, I'm still, it's kind of like a a balance of, you know, I was thinking the other day, like, do I do I really want a second machine? And it's like, yes and no. No, because I like to keep money in the bank if I can. Um, totally. but if, if I'm losing work and opportunities right now, because I don't have a second machine, that's something I really need to think about. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, there's a couple customers that I know need parts made and that I know, I mean, I've worked with them before, but I can't reach out to them right now. Cause I know I'm booked for the next probably two or three weeks. Yeah. I mean, that's why we got a second spindle is like, there's no way we could put the same amount of work through our shop like even being there more or being more efficient or all those you know all the above there comes a point where you need a second spindle yeah so i totally understand but i mean that's exciting it sounds like you're on the cusp of possibly getting something yeah and i know we talked off there off air i don't want to mention too much but there is that one machine that the deal is actually pretty sweet um and it's kind of like, luckily the seller's in no rush, so I'm it might pan out. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm looking forward to hearing how it all goes. Yeah, and, and one thing you mentioned too, which was a smart thing, and the other thing that I thought of too is Dylan had mentioned, you know, with Haas, their lead times are pretty long, eight to 10 weeks. I mean, I think I got mine a little bit earlier, I think maybe closer to six weeks, but I think they're probably getting longer, especially this time of year, because everyone's buying machines to do like tax write-offs, I'm assuming. Right, exactly. And so I would assume they're getting a, 
just a lot more orders for machine tools in general. So I need to think ahead, think, you know, two months into the future, where do I want to be? And in that two months, do I need a second machine? If so, I should probably act now. Yeah. Or at least contact your HFO. Cause like for all, you know, the machine you want, like your HFO might have a demo unit or something that they'll get rid of, or like there might be, somebody that backed out of their order at the factory that has the machine you want. Um, so you, you just really never know until you talk to them. Yeah. Actually, now that you think about it, the, my, let's see. Yeah. My local HFO, they've got a DM two. That'd be kind of sweet if I had two of them. <laughs> yeah. Cause I think they have to like cycle their uh, demo units after a certain really. Time. Yeah. Cause they, they can't have like, you know, two or three year old, Passes on their floor to like customers. So I, I know when I've talked to Yamazin, like they get rid of their floor units. I, I want to say maybe once a year or once every other year or something like that. Hmm. So yeah. Interesting. We're talking to them at least. Yeah. That might be worth a phone call. Well, yeah, you have to keep us updated on how that goes. Yeah, for sure. All right, should we jump into the uh, questions that we kind of wrote for each other? Yeah, let's start with yours, the big one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm interested to see kind of... It, I hope we don't lose followers. Yeah, the, the blowback <laughs> or not on this. But I asked you because we were I was helping you program something, and I had programmed it in where, and you don't use where usually. So I guess... Or, or maybe you do. So let, let's let's go through that. Do you use where? Do you use computer comp? What like what is most of your stuff programmed in, and why? Honestly, and I'm guilty as charged. I don't use any of that except for let's see. I'd have to open up Fusion and check. But for my mold files to open up some specific holes, I think I'm using where. If I'm not getting these mixed up. Okay. And that's where I'll input like a negative value of like five tenths and it'll open up the hole. Yeah. Yeah. So that's okay. where. Uh, okay. Yeah. I prefer where then. Okay. Yeah. And I'm the same way. I, I program everything in where. I mean, if it's not an adaptive toolpath or, you know, if it can have where, it has where pretty much because I never know so, what I want to play for with. For example, that. are you, whenever you program pretty much anything, you're making sure in Fusion you're hitting that drop down arrow and you're hitting where, or you set it as a default. Yeah, I've already set it as a default for all my toolpaths. Okay, and then I guess like you mentioned for like a dynamic, like a roughing pass, I guess it doesn't matter because let's say you're leaving 10 thou on the wall and the floor and you're only wearing maybe like less than a thou, so it's not gonna really affect that. Yeah, well, I don't even think that Fusion gives you an option in the adaptive toolpaths to, to add any kind of cutter comp. That makes sense. It's yeah. It's all just computer generated. Um, and what it is is what it is. So yeah, I, I know that. So the, the debate really comes and, and not it's, I guess the debate more is where or in control because in control is where you put the radius or the diameter of the tool, depending on how your control is set up versus the, radial wear of the tool that you want. And like, we've talked about that a little bit um, last time off air, like just after we finished the, the episode, we talked a little bit about it and there are definitely pros and cons to both. Um, the pro of in control being that you can switch from like a half inch to a three eighths 
tool without reprogramming. You can just change it. Like if you're walking around the outside of a part and you need to go from a three eighths to a half inch, you just change in your control to a half inch end mill and it, the control itself comps for the tool. Yeah. Um, but it also doesn't fail easy. And by that, I mean, like if you go from a quarter inch end mill to a half inch end mill, but you forget to change it in your, or no, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Quarter inch to a half inch end mill and you forget to change it in your control, it's now going to bury that half inch cutter, you know, an extra eighth of an inch into the part more than you thought it was going to. Whereas if you forget, you know, two thou of wear, worst case, or three thou even, like you might have a scrap part, but you haven't scrapped an end mill possibly. Yeah, the chances of destruction is way less. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, unless you're using some crazy wear values, but for the most part, all you're going to do is cut undersize or oversize, depending on if it's an inside or outside feature with wear versus completely forgetting to set a tool and, and just, you know, blowing up an end mill or cutting a part like way, way under. Like if, if I cut a part, you know, four or five thou under, I can still probably use it as a setup for the next stop. If I cut it an eighth of an inch aside under, there's no way, you know, that's a scrap part. Yeah. <laughs> like that's, that's going in the bin immediately. So that's kind of my logic why I use wear. And and, I mean, I think a lot of it is just that the shop I grew up in or that I grew my skills in, that's what they used. So I, I learned that and I use that, but I'd be interested, you know, if you're listening along, what do you use? Make an Instagram post or something, tag us in it. I'd love to hear what more people, like what the reasoning that other people use something besides wear is. Yeah. Everyone, if you're listening right now, take your phones out. If you're in your shop or something, take a picture of something machining related and throw up wear versus comp and circle which one you use and then tag us. Yeah, and I'm, we'll put up a poll in our uh, stories maybe tonight or tomorrow or maybe with the, the day we release this and see what everybody says. I, I'm, I'm actually pretty interested to see because there's so many different options when you're programming. It's, it's really interesting to see how everybody tackles that same problem. Yeah, I honestly don't know which one out of the two would win. I want to say where, but I don't know. I know a bunch of people that use computer. Right, right. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll see and we'll uh, report back next week. Yeah. All right, next question. This is another one you wrote. Yeah, um, so how do you use 3D printing in your business? I, I feel like you use it like significantly more than I do, but... Um... <laughs> Well, do you even have a 3D printer? Yeah, we've got a couple FDM printers that are uh, okay. Um, I didn't know that. I've got way more experience using printers at my day job. Like I convinced my bosses eight months ago to get get me a Form 2. Oh, really? Yeah, because, I mean, I mentioned it before. I do all of our CMM programming and... One thing that has been kind of a pain point between production and inspection is that we very often steal production's fixtures for running the CMM. Okay. And so I brought up and provided a bunch of source articles, um, the fact that we could buy a 3D printer and just print our own fixtures for inspection and that, you know, worst case, if they wear out, we just print another one and throw it away. Um, And so that... We got one, yeah, I think six or eight months ago, and it, it's been fantastic. I've printed a whole bunch of CMM fixtures, and 
um, use it for a whole bunch of different little projects like that. And it, it works great. I, I really, really like it. Yeah. So I have the form too as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I thought you had an FDM printer. I had no idea. I do. I have an Ultimaker 2 and then the Form 2, Form Labs 2. Oh, okay. I, I had no yeah. idea. Yeah, so I like the Ultimaker. That was my first one. And, you know, it's kind of that thing that I hate investing in technology because in a year or two, it's going to be outdated and it's going to be worthless. <laughs> uh, and honestly, the Ultimaker is great for larger parts that... I'll print, you know, a part that I get, a, you know, an RFQ for just so I can hold it, you know, 30 minutes to an hour, I can be holding a part just to be able to look at it and feel it. But if I want something, you know, for really accurate injection molding prototypes, I'll do the SLA print that way. I mean, those things are really accurate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I backed the original form one on Kickstarter. Like I had one of the oh, wow. units out there. So I've been a big fan of theirs for a long time. Um, and then I upgraded to a OnePlus because they gave us like a killer deal as a, a Kickstarter backer. Um, and then the deal to upgrade to the Form 2 was not as good and I wasn't using it at all. So I ended up selling it. But now I, I kind of wish I still had my Form 1. Yeah, the new ones they released are like the same price as the old and their print beds are way bigger. Yeah, I'm kind of a little bitter about that because it was only a couple months between when I bought the form two at work and when they announced the form three, I was like, you've yeah. got to be kidding me. And like, granted, I understand why they wouldn't be like, Hey, hold off. Don't buy our products until our new yeah. one. <laughs> like I, I can't fault them as a business for it, but it's just like, you know, I, I probably would have waited like probably. Um, yeah. I mean, it's only, I think like 500 bucks more and it's a huge printer compared to the two. Yeah. And it's supposed to be, you know, more accurate and be, be able to print more, delicate features and you know all that fun stuff so yeah but I, I still like the one we have at work and it works perfectly so I, I can't complain yeah but i use mine like i said quick stuff and then especially injection molding prototypes you know if i have a lego gun and i want to change the overall length of it you know instead of making an injection mold i can just print version one and version two of the actual gun have a lego guy hold it you know and look at it check dimensions it's super a detailed print and I can go from that and then just make the final mold in one shot. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's kind of how I use it in our business. Like Proteum is we, it, like I said, it's very rare that we do, but um, if we're doing design work, I'll try to print the design usually before we do our first uh, machine prototype just to save our customers some money. Cause it's like, you know, 90% of the time that, that's one reason I love 3d printers is that, 90% of the time you print it and you're like, Oh, I hate this. Like yeah. I hate everything about it. Like I don't like the size or I don't like the feel or I don't like this or that. And like, it, it's, it's so different. Even a, a nice render on the computer versus actually holding in your hand. Like I can't, I can't list how many times I've designed something designed something, printed it and then been like, Oh, it is 10 times smaller than I thought it was. Or yeah. like this does not fit my hand at all. Yeah, seriously, it's super, I mean, relatively fast. I don't know how people would do it in the quote old days. I mean, just 20 years ago, you'd have to like, I don't know, make like a wood or foam model. And then it's like, okay, now what? Right. Well, I mean, that's where like the panographs come in where you, you, you know, trace 
a foam or a clay model with a stylus and the, at the other end it's connected to a, a milling bit and then you could you know, mill 3d things like they used to do like rocket engines like that and stuff like oh i know it's kind of scary yeah they would <laughs> plot the curves like use points to approximate a curve and then string it together and then oh, cut dear. it out on a router so that there was a path for the stylus to follow, and then they would follow it with a stylus and cut it on a, a lathe or whatever. Like it's, it's so cool that like that's how we were able to get to the moon. But also, yeah, it, it's frightening. You're like, we did what? Like, wh- yeah, we did what with what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's absolutely insane. Like, I, did you ever see the movie Hidden Figures? Uh uh-uh. uh So it's about the computers which were humans who did all the computation for nasa um and and these i think it follows three black women who were like the main people who helped uh not the first moon landing but the first um like orbiting launch or something first orbiting launch of the the planet and okay the main lady that, that they follow they used her to double check all of the figures. Like she was right as they were bringing on the first IBM computer to do calculations and they didn't trust Jeez. the computer. So they would use her to double check by hand, all the calculations for elliptical orbits and things like that up until like the early space shuttle launches. Wow. Yeah. She's like a hundred something years old now and like still, what the heck? Yeah. And like, <laughs> like it was a person with a calculator that would compute all of our trajectories and, and, and re-entry points and all of that. It's, it's mind boggling to think oh. that that's how we, you know, got to space. Yeah. And before calculators with a slide rule. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Have you ever used a slide rule? They're stupid. <laughs> I, I like le- picked up one from a bookman's like a, a used bookstore a while back just to learn how to do it. Cause I was like, I've seen these a million times. Like my dad always had one around. Yep. Like, I don't think he ever used it either. It was just like, oh, I, you know, this was from when I went to school. And then like I picked one up and learned how to use it in a day. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm really glad I have my calculator. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, a little bit off topic. But I thought it was interesting stuff. Yeah, it is. All right. My questions. You yep. ready? Yep. All right, so I've been doing a lot of chamfering, and I'm curious, what is your? Because I know that Tool 19 in my machine is a quarter inch, 90 degree Mari Tool chamfer mill, okay. two flute. What is your go-to chamfer tool? Like, what stays in your machine that you do pretty much everything with? Uh, so it depends, but 90%. So, like, Tool One for us is a quarter inch mill drill that we use mostly for spotting and some chamfering. And then tool two for us is a uh, three eighths inch 60 thou tip 90 degree chamfer from destiny tool. Okay. Uh, that's probably, I don't know. All, it, we chamfer everything we possibly can with that, except for things that are too close to walls or, you know, have corner radiuses that are too big or sorry, too small to fit that 60 thou tip in. And then we'll do okay. mill drill. And sometimes I'll add like an eighth inch mill drill or an eighth inch chamfer to do smaller features um, or get closer up next to the walls, depending on how how much I need to do. Yeah, that's what I've found. I need to get some eighth inch chamfer tools because I do 
stuff that's ridiculously small, and I just need an edge break, and this quarter-inch tool just doesn't get in there. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing is to try to find chamfer tools that have a tip diameter on them versus like a sharp tip one. Like I See, that's what I'm running into because the one I have is it's got to be wearing because I retouched it off and it changed a decent amount in its Z height. And then I'm just always fighting it. I don't need like a consistent chamfer. It's just an edge break, you know you know, a couple thou or so, but it sometimes it's heavy, sometimes it's not, and it's just like, I hate this. Yeah, get yourself a tipped-off chamfer tool. You will never find yeah. it again. Like, we use... The Destiny ones are pretty good. I think they're plus or minus two or one thou on the tip diameter. So you define... I have some different. helical ones that work pretty good. Yeah, that would work great. I mean, we use... We have a, a few Harvey ones, like an eighth inch with a 30 thou tip or a 40 thou tip, something like that. Um, but like having a specced tip diameter, that's, I mean, this is like secret sauce stuff. Like if you want good chamfers that are consistent, that are in spec, get a tipped off diameter one with a good tight tolerance on the tip diameter, correctly define it in your cam system and never worry about it again. Is that just because of basically what I said is like, if you picture a triangle, that tip's going to slowly wear versus a tip tipped off one. It's not going to wear. It's going to stay consistent, more or less, for the whole life of the tool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and like even a mill drill fresh out of the package, depending on how the end geometry is cut, is very often not a true sharp point. Like it's it's got a ten thou or twenty thou diameter on there because of the way that the flutes come up to each other. Like depending okay. on the angle in which you're looking at them. It, it goes from being a sharp point to like, oh, you turned it 90 and now there's a 10 thou diameter or a 15 thou diameter at the tip. Um, so like when I was using mill drills, I would constantly back out my mill drill five or 10 thou and walk it in until I got the chamfer I want. And like, since we switched to a tipped off chamfer tool, I don't think I've worried about chamfers in a whole long time. Cause that's honestly been something that's been kicking my butt recently. And I've just kind of been putting up with it. And I do remember someone I talked to on Instagram mentioned that they're like, just use your tipped off ones. I know you have some helical ones and I used them and I just touched it off. Boom. Like first try nailed it. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, but, it's like I said, it, it is the, the quote unquote right way to do chamfering. Having so do they tool. make ones that are like eighth inch that are tipped off? Yeah. Yeah. I was just saying them like the Harvey one we have is a 30 thou diameter. I'd have to find it, but uh, yeah, it's like a 30 or 40 thou diameter one. That's the tipped off one. Yeah. Yeah. I think okay. they, I want to say Harvey calls them like type two maybe or something like that. Um, is that like the tolerance of how, tight that tip diameter is held to no they, they call it t like type one is a, a sharp tip and type two is like a tipped off one i think or it maybe i'm having it reversed or something like that but it's uh something like that um i need to get some of those yeah you're like i said you're it is highly recommended yeah actually okay so i'm on there harvey's chamfer cutters pointed in flat end type one is pointed type two is flat end i was Correct. So the only thing you can't do with type two, you can do with type one is it's not uh, end cutting. So you shouldn't be spotting with it or anything like that. Um, 
That's fine, yeah. Yeah, they actually have a Type 3 that is tipped off and is supposed to have a ground relief to the end, so you could drill, I guess, technically with it. But I don't know. I've, I've always found it better. Like, I'm slowly trying to move both of our machines to dedicated spot drills and dedicated chamfer mills and not try to combine them, not trying to half-ass it. Because, like, 120-degree spot is so much better for drills. I mean, well, 118 drills at least. Um, than a 90 degree drill too. Like you get better drilling action. It's not contacting with like part of the tip. So there's less chatter initially. It will wear your drills less. Uh, Using the correct tool for the job as usual ends up with a better uh, result overall. So yeah, I need to order some tools after this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Because my go-to spot drill is a quarter-inch 90-degree, and I don't know how I've gotten this far, honestly, with it. I need to change it to, like you said, like a 120 or something. Yeah, it, it just depends on like what you're, what you're using most. If you have like a bunch of uh, cobalt 135-degree drills, you want like a 140 spot or 150 spot if they make them. I know, I think they have 140s at least. Um, and then if you're, but if you're using mostly like 118 drills, then a 120 is perfect. Okay. I think they even make um, drill mills in the 120, possibly. So if okay, you wanted yeah. to stick with that style of tool, that's totally fine. It's just getting the right angle on it. Yeah, I need to get a new spot drill, and I need to get some tipped-off chamfer tools that are small enough that can actually do the parts I used to. Yeah, because like personally, I prefer... The reason I, I still use um, drill mills is that they cut so nicely that I can use them for spotting and spotting to the chamfer diameter, which I guess you can do with a, a, a spot drill, but um, like the, they just leave a really nice surface finish on the chamfer. Okay. That's probably actually why I've stick to my 90 degree spot is because I use it. Like you said, I always just drill deeper and it countersinks it or, you know, for the thread or whatever. Yeah. And so Harvey actually has a 120 degree drill mill. So I might pick those up as well and just actually finally go through with changing them out. Because I've talked about, talked with Brad about it for a while and just been like, all right, we need to do this. I just need to find the right tools, blah, blah, blah. But there's a tool I need to get from Harvey anyway for an upcoming order. So I might as well get all these knocked out. Yeah. I was about to say, if you're going to order soon, might as well. Yeah. All right, so we got chamfer tools out of the way. I think we both are on the same page now. I'm, yeah, I we'll see what anybody else says, tools. but <laughs> yeah. So next question, I was just thinking about this because I was like, you know how you're. <laughs> this sounds so demoralizing. You know how you'll be running parts and like, for example, I had like a six minute cycle time, which is so dumb because you can't really do anything. Um, but you're just standing there and you're like just staring into your machine like a zombie and <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking, I'm like, I don't know the last time I've trammed my vice. And like, so I was like, I'm going to ask Dylan, like how often do you check that? Well, I'm going to start a lot more and let me tell you a story about some parts oh, that we were gosh. running a week or two ago. So Uh-oh. usually, I don't know. We, we were checking it like maybe every three months, like way longer than we probably should be. I mean, how, how long did it take to throw up an indicator real quick and just like run it across there or even Not the hammer while it's in there? Like it, it, you know, you can see at least a half a thou like, a, um, so anyway, 
I was running these parts really late at night and like the first one ran all right and it was longer than eight inches. So I couldn't use my caliper to check the height or maybe it wasn't, but it, I needed a tall, tighter tolerance or something. Anyway, I went over to my height master and an indicator and zeroed it out to where it should be on the height master, moved it over to the center of the part. And I was like, bam, like I'm, I'm spot on. And then I just like happened to sweep left to right across the top of the part. I'm like, what is going on? I've got two thou of taper across this entire part. Like what? And then so like I was like, oh, well, maybe maybe I'm sitting on a burr. And so like I deburr the entire part, go back, flip the part 180, indicated again. And I'm like, nope, that's uh two thou. That is a full two thou across like two inches. Like this is oh, something geez. is wrong. And so like I go and indicate the vice, and I was like, Yep, there's a two and a half thou across six inches on the vice. Um wow. maybe it was even more than maybe it was like three. But anyway, uh, yeah, so now I'm, I'm going to be a little bit more of a stickler and, and check it more often. Uh, like, I, I think we hadn't seen it before because we do a lot, so much work in soft jaws that oh, okay. we're that cutting makes sense. the soft jaws in relation to the spindle so we don't see it. But yeah, I, I could not believe it. I was like, how, how? Like, how? We didn't have any crashes. Like, we didn't smack on the side of the vice as far as I know. Um, so I, I'm not even sure how it happened, which kind of bothers me, but, um, I'm just going to be more diligent about checking it every now and again. What about you? Yeah. Yeah. I need to, uh, I honestly haven't checked it in so long. <laughs> I need to check. Yeah. It, it's like I said, it's so easy and quick. I don't know why I don't do it more. Uh, I'm going to do it more. I'm actually just sending my indicator out for repair in the next day or two. So once it gets back, I'll probably check the device again, but. For now, just- I almost need to set up like an automatic email so it emails me every like two weeks to check that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I had um, probing, I would probably do it a hell of a lot more because you could just set up a probing routine to just go in there and tell you the angle. Yeah, that's true. So one one day, that's what I'll. One do. day. Yeah. And then the other question was, how often are you taking your vices on and off your machine? If that's, you know, you need table space to do some sort of big part or are you mainly keeping your vices in place where they're at? Um, it really depends on the kind of work. Like on the brother, we've been doing it. We've been taking them on and off. It seems like a whole bunch because like we, we put both vices on there at one point because we had long parts that were bigger. They were maybe 14 inches long and so i had both my single station from the kitamura and my aluminum single station that's usually on the brother and i set them up side by side and then right after that i took it off and did some grills which requires this the uh pallet so i have to rotate the uh, aluminum one 90 degrees and then i took that off for or no then i put it back straight for some other work and then recently had to turn to 90 again for the whole vacuum pallet stuff. The Kitamura, I feel like we take it on as like a maintenance item. I take it on and off maybe once every three or four months, which again, I wish I did more often, but I just usually don't have time. Um, or I don't make time. I need to make time. Uh, I need to stop saying that I don't have time. Like if I make time, I have time. So. Yeah, I was about to say, I, I'm the same way. We all, like, 10 minutes, we have time for that. We just don't make it. Yeah, well, and, I, like, you know, if I did it once a month, I would have caught that 2,000 tram before, or I never would have even caught it because I would, never would have got that bad or something, you know? Yeah. Like, it, it, 
it mate good maintenance pretty much always pays you back in better parts or longer longevity on your stuff or all of the above so i just need to make more time for maintenance yeah it was funny i was gonna move some of my vices around it and i was like you know what i'm just gonna hold off because this one company might order those large parts again and like the next day they did and i'm like okay good after this order i'll swap them out (laughs) yeah yeah i've been really really wanting to look into some kind of ball lock system, um, whether that's Lang or Pearson or the Orange Vice one and getting a subplate made. But I, I just think it would be for the amount of low volume, high mix that we do and has only been getting, you know, not worse and worse. Like we're doing more and more work, which is great. But I, I really want to start optimizing our setup time. Um, if I was only having to take off and on and indicate in like a ball lock system versus the entire vice, I feel like it'd be a lot quicker and a lot, I I'd do it a lot more often. Well, yeah. And you wouldn't be afraid to. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see. I, I'm still unsure of what I want to go with. Like I had kind of a bad experience with Lang at my day job. Okay. So I am kind of steering away from them. Um, it would probably be between, it would probably be between fifth axis oranges own ball lock or Pearson. Um, and really it just depends on what we want to hook up. Like the fifth axis yeah. stuff is all manual. So is the orange stuff. The orange stuff obviously fits with their vices really well. Uh, I've looked at the, like the new small oranges, the fifth axis ones that they he's making now. Yeah. Like I, I, kind of wish that i had bought two of those like they they weren't out when we bought our double station but i would have rather now buy two of those versus our double station just for op ones mainly op ones and like we get not a whole bunch but we get enough parts that are i don't know maybe two inches wide or an inch wide but that are 14 inches long and like that oh okay like as of now our workflow for that is either a i've got to move an entire vice over to one machine and set them up and indicate both vices in. Or I have to cut a really, really long soft jaw, cut it, and then I put a C-clamp on the outside of the jaws to prevent lift um, and, and make it rigid, but it's still not as rigid as two vices. So if I had two of the small ones, like, yeah, they only open up, I think, four inches or whatever, but that's more than enough. And then I could have them outboard of each other, maybe five inches spacing between them or three inches spacing between them and be able to capture the entire part and hold it really rigidly so it would be for, for the kind of work we do right now it would give us a lot more flexibility yeah i think i saw someone did like a render of having a bunch of i think it was orange actually they did like they showed a vf2 table and a bunch of those spaced out and i mean it'd just be cool to have a ball lock system where if you need a full vice you can put it on or if you just want to use the little guys you can use those right yeah yeah and really i mean any of those vices like oranges has some benefits in the fact that the uh, there is a fixed jaw that is held down, like it's not a differential screw like the fifth axis vices. Okay. Um, but like the fifth axis ones also have their benefits as well. Um, like they are self-centering, which uh, on a three axis doesn't really matter. But like if you get in a fourth and fifth, it can be pretty nice for uh, first stop stuff. So. 
uh, there's so many benefits and there's drawbacks to everything. And, and really it's just, you know, trying to find out where your money's best spent right, right now. We don't need any more vices. Like I just need to bust out a bunch of work and possibly get rid of the Kitamura and, and get something new in there, whether it's like a brand new machine or a used machine. So I, I'm not really looking at vices, but it has been on my mind on, on and off over the last couple of months. Yeah. We'll have to see, like you said, with the new machine, if that goes through, you might start rethinking and revisiting that. Yeah. I mean, the nice thing is like, we've got a fair bit of like, we have that double station that we don't use all that much. We still have the custom one that's on the Kitamura that would definitely wouldn't leave with the Kitamura. So we would have all the vices and like work holding we would need for any machine we get, um, at least for the, the near future. And uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll just have to see. Playing it all by ear for sure. Yeah, for sure. All right. Is there anything else we want to talk about? I think that's a good episode right there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we talked about a lot and it was, you know, we might've gotten a little off topic here and there, but I, I, that's just the way it goes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, thanks everybody for listening along. Definitely. Again, if you are interested at all in uh, physics simulation or 3d scanning or anything like that, we've got laser scan man, Andrew on next week. We're really looking forward to picking his brain about, you know, it's kind of a, because I, I love design so much, I've always wanted a reverse 3D scanner or a 3D scanner for reverse engineering. Um, and I've just never really been exposed to it. So I'm really looking forward to kind of picking his brain on all that. And, uh, you know, follow us along on Instagram, uh, Peyton and I's individual Instagram, Hex Gadgets, Brick Tactical, Proteum Machining, and then also the Within Tolerance podcast uh, Instagram itself for all the updates and stuff. And I think... I think after this next week one, we should do that live, uh, going in, live on Instagram and having people join us live and ask questions for the podcast. I think that might be a little fun. So if you guys want to do that, if you're interested in going live with us, definitely let us know. Shoot us a DM or comment on our latest episode or anything like that, and we'll uh, we'll make sure to let you guys all know when that's going to happen. Yeah, that should be really fun. And then make sure you guys post on your stories where versus computer and uh, we'll see who's the winner. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. All right, guys, we'll see you next week. Yep, have a good night.